Why is it that everybody talks about starting companies, but nobody ever tells us how to shut them down? Maybe it's because by the time startups go into this dark, hazy abyss called shutdown mode, things get really quiet. We stop hearing from founders, our investors start talking about other hot new investments, and the media moves on. This doesn't change the fact that most startups fail. It doesn't diminish the need for a clear process when it happens. Today on the Startup Therapy Podcast, we'll cover how to wind down a startup with as much grace as possible. This is Ryan Rutan from Startups.com back for another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. As always, I am joined by my partner, Will Schroeder. Will... We talk a lot about starting companies. We talk a lot about growing companies and optimizing them for all sorts of stuff. But one of the things we don't talk a lot about is what the hell happens when we have to shut them down? Yeah. And I mean, think about it this way. That's usually the outcome. I mean, when we talk about the failure rate of startups, I mean, most startups are going to fail. So if we spend a disproportionate amount of time talking about how to start them, probably spend a little bit of time on how to shut them down. Totally agreed. All right, well, let's dig in. Yeah, well, look, there's, there's a lot of bad ways to shut down a startup. But let's agree that, you know, n- no matter what, shutting a startup down is bad. So for those that are even thinking about it, and, you know, it's unfortunate that we have to have this talk, but hey, we have to have this talk, right? For those that are even thinking about it, there's 20 different ways to shut down a startup, ranging from run out of the building while it's it's flaming you know and burning down and saying you know so long suckers good luck with this right <laughs> to to the other end which is actually just as bad staying in the burning building until it's nothing but rubble along with you with it at the bottom right now yeah both of those are terrible ways to shut down a company what i've learned having gone through the experience myself and then certainly um coaching other founders and doing the same there actually is a fairly graceful way to shut down a startup where you and all of the other people involved uh, can be treated as fairly as you possibly can, even in the wake of just you know this big calamitous event. Are you talking about uh, joining witness protection? <laughs> that's if that's what it takes. I know some founders that would have gladly chosen that as <laughs> as their default option. It it's maybe always that, my plan A. It's always yeah. my plan A. <laughs> just escape. But look, like we said, most startups are going to fail. That's the nature of what we do. So as yep. founders, I think it, it's incumbent on us to teach others as well as learn ourselves what to do when the time comes. You know, that in case of fire drill, uh, you know, where to go and really how everyone's affected. Because at the time, and I'll just set this up a little bit at a kind of a higher level. I think at the time when the startups is on the brink of heading the wrong direction, Founders just kind of know, right? It's kind of like when you know a relationship is going the wrong direction. Uh, You don't want to admit it. You can't necessarily put it all on a piece of paper. You just sort of know. Yeah, it's 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 one of those gut feelings that that tends to uh, tends to be correct. But here, you know, something I never thought about before: if you're handed the framework for handling the situation, and you now have you know, it, the, the permission to wind one down gracefully. I'm not going to say that this would always change the outcome and save the startup, but it would certainly change the mindset of the founder at the minute that they have that realization. Because I'm going back in my own history and thinking like, when you do have that realization, 
you stiffen up, right? You get scared. Yeah. And all of a sudden you start to make different decisions because you're in fucking panic mode, right? And so Absolutely. do you think that having a framework, do you think the discussion we're about to have today, maybe it won't save companies from going out of business. Maybe it will only help make this process easier. But I feel like there's at least some remote chance that it could change outcomes by just not freezing up, not becoming the deer in the headlights, by still becoming a proactive founder through the entire life cycle of the business, even if that does mean shutting things down. For this discussion, let's assume stuff's going to shut down, right? And here's what's kind of interesting about it. Yes, in, in this discussion, things are going to shut down. However, this is what I was alluding to a minute ago. As founders, we don't really believe that. You know, we'd be shitty founders if we actually believed at the first sight of a problem that things were absolutely going to shut down. Our problem, and we should talk about this today, is we hang on way too long. We are the captain at the bottom of the ocean, the last person on the yeah. ship, you know, long past the point everyone else is, is already paddled back to shore, right? I nope, mean, it's me and my co-founder, Davy Jones, down here. In yeah. <laughs> if, if, if you think that, you know, you're the only one holding on too long, man, it's, it's you and every you and everybody else. And, and Ryan, you and I have been through this ourselves in our own companies. We've had some successes, but we've had plenty of failures. And I've yes. rode some stuff to the very bottom of the Mariana Trench of, of, of the ocean, right? I mean, like as far as it could possibly go. And here's what I do know, and this goes back to your framework question. It is possible to shut down a startup in a methodical, intelligent, mature way that deliberately treats each of the stakeholders, including yourself, by the way, with respect and with consideration that they normally don't get. Caveat. Yes. Everyone's still going to be disappointed, right? Maybe <laughs> right. best case, right? You know, yeah. and, and, and it doesn't and it can, end with a party. Like we, it we shut this down so well, let's celebrate. Yeah, that never happens. It doesn't. But like anything else in life, there's certain things that even in a shitty situation, you can go out like a gentleman, gentlewoman, right? You know what I mean? Like yes. you can you can treat the situation with the kind of respect. Here's the challenge: chances are, hopefully, this is the first and maybe only time you'll ever do this. So why yeah. the hell would you know how to do it properly? And just like we were talking about, no one ever talks about it, right? No right. one ever walks you through this stuff. So we're going to do it. That's what we're going to do today. We're, we're going to walk you through how to shut startup down gracefully, how to make sure you don't pull yourself further into the, the trench or the bottom of the ocean, which typically happens, and how to walk away with it with a renewed set of uh, conditions. Awesome. So... Do we want to take this from a stakeholder perspective? Who who do we talk about first? Who 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 is important here? Uh, well, let's definitely talk about the stakeholders. And if you're like most startups, uh, the founders, and, and you're at a point now where you're starting to see things go sideways, uh, you're looking at your staff, right? Sure. And and you're saying, well, shit, <laughs> what am I going to say to all these people? And and let me, Ryan, if, if you would, let, let me just talk about it from my own perspective, having been through this a few times. What I what went through my head when I thought about letting go of staff was every meeting that I had with them prior and up until the point where they got hired, right? Yeah. Tell them how amazing this exactly. is going to be. We're on our way to the moon. <laughs> exactly. The moon just happens to be at the bottom of the trench in the middle of the sea. And you feel like such an asshole because... Yep. You meant it, you know, I mean, I hope you meant it. You, you know, I, I'd, I'd be sitting across from somebody trying to convince them to quit their job. In some cases, you know, put up some stakes whereby maybe they had, uh, you know, a spouse, kids, et cetera. And now I'm thinking they went home 
and they told their spouse that same story, kind of sold them on on my narrative, yep. right? Yep. And 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 their spouse and their and their family and their friends and everybody kind of bought into that yeah. narrative. And everybody buys the dream. Everybody buys the dream. And now they're going to go home, and they're going to be like, "Yeah, you know, this guy's full of shit." And and worse, <laughs> you know, our relationships on the line, right? You know, these yep. are people that I cared very much about, spent a ton of time with, right? And now I'm disappointing them. It, it, it reminded me when I first went through it, like breaking up with my girlfriend 50 times in a row on the same day, right? And, <laughs> and then, and then like, talking to ends. all of her friends and, and her family and Brutal. spending the next 10 Thanksgivings with them. Yeah, it's, it's awful. And so I would do anything to avoid that fate. Now, here's, here's where that becomes a problem, that I yeah. will do anything. I will do a ton of things to avoid that fate, which could also include things that I shouldn't have done. For example, yep. I won't tell them, again, this isn't me being maniacal or evil, I'm trying to do the best thing, but I won't tell them that we're about to get shut down because I want them you know, to believe that I've got this, that I'll take them through thick and thin, I'll run through walls, that they don't have to worry about it. And so I, I won't tell them in, in this case, I'm using me in the in the, the broader sense, you know, all founders. I, I won't tell them that, man, we've got two to four weeks left to live, right? And then this thing's over. Right. Because we think we're going to pull the rabbit out of the hat, right? You know, we, we think we're going to yeah. land that one deal. We're going to close that one investor. We're going to do that one thing at the 11th hour that that turns this into a, a harrowing tale, right? You know, if we thought about it in the right way we would tell them that it was going to end in four weeks that, you know, we're, we're terminally ill with this business because then we get the miracle of the turnaround. <laughs> I don't think that ever <laughs> occurs still there. the time you're like, it's a miracle. I'm still around. Right. Yeah. Well, 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 think about this, man. Think about how hard we worked to recruit all of those people, especially in some cases where you're oh, talking yeah. about competitive job markets, particularly things like engineers or marketers, highly employable people at the first sign of trouble have the opportunity to just go get another job. Now, not everybody does. Yes. And, and even if you are highly employable, I think people underestimate the amount of friction it does take to switch jobs. So most people will hold on to their job longer um, just because, again, it is a high friction thing. But still, as the, yeah. as the founders, we're sitting here thinking, man, it took so much to get that engineer to come work for me, right? If I send an early false signal that this business isn't going well, and yep. then they quit, and then I actually still need them because you know I, I I land that funding round or I land that one customer, et cetera. Well, fuck, right? You know, then I, I lose yep. on both accounts. I lost the engineer and I pulled the company around, right? Which you know isn't is doesn't mean anything if I lost the people that I needed to pull it around with. That's right? exactly it, right? Yeah. Now now I, I saved the ship. The crew are all in dinghies hundreds of miles. Away. What am I supposed <laughs> to do now? Exactly. Yes. Right? Sucks. And so so I, I've been through this a couple times where I've had to sit down with the staff and say, listen, everyone, we're out of money, right? Like we've got X amount of time left. Here's what I found. Number one, there was never a case where this was a surprise to anyone, right? I mean, <laughs> like, it's not like our, our employees yeah. have no idea what's going on, right? We figured it out when you stopped getting haircuts and shaving, right? <laughs> <Three months ago. laughs> it's like, and, and so uh, the, the mistake I would have made would would not give them enough credit as if they're waiting for this definitive answer uh, before they have any context whatsoever that I've been stressed out 24 seven 
or that, you know, uh, they're, they're seeing some past due bills show up, right? You know, it's really funny. It's really funny because we pat ourselves in the back for hiring these really, really smart people. <laughs> and then when we get into these situations, we assume that they're, you know, that they're dumb enough not to understand what's going on. Like, let's, let's remind ourselves, we hired really smart people. They probably know what's going on. Right. And, and so what I found to be particularly helpful is to kind of break this warning system down into two stages, right? And I just think it's just the right thing to do, right? You know, um, and you can manage it however it makes sense in, in your own org. But what I, what I learned after shutting a few companies down was that if I could give some folks some early signs, not to say that the sky is falling today, but to say shit seems a little bit off. Right? <laughs> right. For example, at least get at least get your umbrellas in. This guy might not be falling, <laughs> exactly, but like exactly get your right? umbrellas. And I say, look, uh, here's the deal: we've got four months of runway left in the bank. I'm not saying we're going under. I'm just saying that we have four months left. Right? Here are the things that we're going to do over the next four months to right the ship. Right? Here's That's who we're right. going to be pitching. Here are the deals that we're looking to sign, so on and so forth. But what I just did there is I gave my staff an opportunity to at least get off the boat if they needed to yep. versus when they have to. And that's just at the right thing to do. start looking around for which direction to swim if it sinks, right? Land is that way. Here's the other thing that I don't think anybody ever tells you. Your staff doesn't hear this information and immediately their only response is, go fuck yourself, I'm going to go get another job, right? Sure, there will be some people that do that. And by the way, don't yep. you kind of want them to get another job, right? I mean, in all isn't fairness. That, isn't that interesting, right? Yep. Because the right team reacts to this information in a positive way, right? Exactly. Not, not saying it's a positive situation, but when you tell them, here's our four months of runway, here's what we need to accomplish in that four months to turn that four into five to 10 to 15 to forever, and then you watch them do it. You help them do it. You empower them to do it. You know, it, not to say that you have to use a scare tactic to motivate your team, hopefully. But if you've got the right team, if you've done a good job hiring, you've got good people around you that joined for the right reasons, this isn't a negative message. It's a negative situation with positive messaging. And if you land it early where you're still on the right side of the message, the right side of the message is, everyone, I'm trying to give you a, a transparent sense for what's going on. Again, it's yes. not game over. But, you know, we're down to our last life kind of thing, right? Here's right. what I've seen. I haven't seen anywhere near what people tend to think it is, which everybody runs for the exits. I've seen a little bit of that. No. Here's what I've seen. I've seen folks come up to me afterward and said, hey, man, are you all right? Right? Yeah. Holy cow, actually showed two-way empathy, right? Of course they did because they, they cared right. about you to begin with, right? They didn't sign up to be on your ship for no reason. And they want to see this work. I've seen folks come to me and say, hey, you know, I could actually go without salary for a longer period of time. Maybe my spouse yes. works or maybe yes. I've got savings, et cetera. Or people come to me and say, hey, I have a clever way to cut some costs. Amazing. Yep. You all of a sudden realize, and I think this is important, you're not in this alone. And I think the shutdown process as this thing starts to get closer and closer to D-Day, founders feel more and more retracted, more and more alone. I know I did, right? You know, the last yeah. thing you want when you're close to shutdown mode is to be popping out of cocktail parties talking about how your startup's failing, right? <laughs> you, you, right. you curl up in the fetal no, position but, and you don't want to talk to anybody. But it's a good anybody. point. It's a good point, though, because by giving them the opportunity to support you, maybe they will. 
right? Without the right. opportunity, they certainly won't, right? We, we, you know, there's the, what's the phrase? There are no atheists in foxholes. There are no assholes in foxholes either because the assholes left, right? <laughs> exactly. So whoever does stick around is there for the right reasons and they will support you, right? right. Maybe to their own detriment, but that's their decision, right? We're all grownups in this. And so I think that, you know, your, your point is, is spot on. We need to treat them like grownups. We need to give them the information that they need to make whatever decisions they need to make for themselves, and Absolutely. a lot of people will make decisions that are good for you and for them, and that's fine. And it's it, it's not unreasonable to ask for help, right? I mean, again, founders don't really think about this. They say, hey, the, the weight's on me. The, the company's going the wrong direction. It's all me. It's all me. That's an incredibly self-centered way to look at your company, it sure right? Is. To assume you're the only person that has the responsibility for the welfare of the company. And, and frankly, it's a giant miss to take that away from the staff. Now, again... When you sit up there and you tell your staff that you have three months to live, you know, based on the amount of a runway in the bank account, yep. no one's going to high five you, right? This isn't, no. you know, this, this also, <laughs> this also isn't about making you feel good, right? That's not their job necessarily either. But it yep. is an opportunity to say, hey, we're all in this together. I believe very strongly in what we're doing. And this is a hurdle that we're, we're going to try to get past. And, and chances are, I have to say this, chances are you won't. Chances That's are, right. if you're that far along, Companies rarely get past that mark, and we'll, we'll probably get into that a little bit more into the discussion. But as it relates to the stakeholder that is your staff and those people that you care about, the only way to do right, right by them is to give them as much advance warning as possible. That's right. Yeah. The, the, the wrong answer every time is, oh, by the way, we ran out of money two weeks ago, and so the work that you've already done is going to go uncompensated. Sorry, right? That's... You can't do that, right? You've got to give them as much lead time as you can. Let them make their decisions, again, for better, for worse, for, for their own sake. It's the only option, right? I really, there really is another option. The other option is, is unconscionable for me. Well, there's also a few other considerations, and, and, and I'd be remiss in not bringing this up. There are some complicated labor laws that prevent you oh, yeah. from allowing people to show up for work knowing that they are not going to get paid. I mean, these are some of these labor laws, depending on your state, your jurisdiction, your country, et cetera, fall yep. to the do not pass go, go directly to jail level. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, they don't prevent you from doing that. But <laughs> if you do that, they prevent you from doing anything else outside of a, an eight by 10 cell and an orange jumpsuit for the foreseeable future. Yes. Look, yeah, there are real consequences to this. Correct. And, and again, I, I, I don't want to. It, it unnecessarily terrify people because many startups run into this where, hey, I might not be able to pay the staff, et cetera. What I'm trying to say is, even though it does happen a fair amount, that doesn't necessarily make it legal in most cases. And there's lawyers that are far, far more versed in this than I am. All I'm telling you is I've been through enough of this to know it's not something you can ignore wholesale. I disagree. I think you should be terrified because <laughs> not paying people might be slightly terrifying. Going to Going to prison is terrifying. I don't think there's anything yeah, other than terrifying about that. So yes, well, in this case, be terrified. And you know, as we said at the top of the show, uh, we're assuming in this case that you absolutely are not going to be able to pay people at some point. We're talking about the path where, where things you know don't come back to this this rosy comeback victory. We're saying that not only do you have to let the staff know ahead of time, but when you get closer to the point where you're actually going to have to not pay people, it has to sync up with yeah. your last payment that you can make to them. If, if you have a week and a half worth of payroll in the bank and you need to make two weeks, you are already out of money. You've already not made payroll. It's important to know That's that. That's correct. Yep. So let's talk about 
who else you're going to have to talk to because <laughs> it's a fairly long list. Let's and, let's go up a step really quick, please, because uh, you know I we we jumped in with staff, and I think that it's probably one of the most important discussions. But I think that there may be one that that comes just ahead of that because it may dictate whether or not you have that conversation. And this is with co-founders and partners. Ooh, good point. Uh, good point. Because yeah, because if if you're not sole founder in this case it may not be entirely up to you as to when to have this conversation and That's when to point. be honest. Yep. And so, and, and I've seen this happen. I've had this happen to me where I felt like we were on the brink of disaster and I wanted to start, and, and this isn't, this isn't me, you know, trying to make myself sound great. I, I helped to run this thing into the ground, but I had realized that and I wanted to start to have these conversations and I had a very optimistic partner who who felt like we would be able to make this work and and to pull up and in the end we did do some things that that did course correct we ended up letting go about half the staff do it but we were able to maintain some of the company and it it did continue into operations for a couple more years but it was a huge like and, and when I say huge I mean like it almost turned into a fist fight at some point I bet uh, that's <laughs> that's how emotional it got like literally intense. Yeah. Yeah. It was super intense. And, and when you have these like deep fundamental feelings, right? Like, you know, I was coming from the fact that I don't want to, I don't want to take people down a path where we could end up wrecking their lives. And he's saying, right. I don't want to break this thing that we've spent time building and ruin their lives without a really good reason. I'm saying, man, I think we're already at that. And so it was that, are we at that it's point? Tough yet? conversation. Oh man. And, and it was one that repeated itself every, every day, a couple times a day for about two weeks. And it didn't end well, right? It ended up with us still disagreeing about whether or not to do it. But at some point, like I went ahead and started having the conversation and it didn't feel good because my partner didn't agree with me. Yeah, I, I could absolutely uh, see that. And it was awful, but like it was what I felt I had to do at the time. And I didn't have a choice. I couldn't convince him and I could not say something. And you know, things landed in my favor because he couldn't stop me from opening my mouth short of having the fist fight and knocking me out, right? So right. I was able to do what I felt I had to do at the time. And it was super uncomfortable. And it created some dissension. Uh, there was already dissension between me and my partner, but it created some dissension um, amongst the staff as well. Uh, because then now they're getting mixed messaging from the leadership. And I think that, you know, above all, that was probably the most painful part for them. They're going like, you guys can't even agree as to whether this is really happening or not. What the hell should we be thinking? Right. And so, uh, we just ended up firing the half that listened to him. No, <laughs> <Jeez>. um, <laughs> no you know, yeah, uh, so. I ran into a similar experience but in, in a very different way. About 10 years ago, I got elected to the board of directors for, for the, the symphony of all things for a major city. I won't name it because I don't think that's fair but there aren't that many symphonies uh, left. So, <laughs> uh, but here's the funny thing. I, I get invited to join this board. Um, and there's about 30, 40 people on the board and I show up at the first board meeting and they're handing around the financials for the symphony. And uh-huh. the symphony ran on about a $10 million operating budget. And I get the financials. And as you know, I'm our CFO, so I'm you know, pretty clever as far as how numbers work, I hope. But I look at the numbers and again, this is the first time I've so ever seen we. them. <laughs> yeah, I look at the numbers and I'm like, Hey, I must be missing something in how you guys put together income statements, but I'm showing a eight million dollars worth of income in ten million dollars of expenses, and we're a nonprofit company, so I assume we're not uh, sitting on any cash unless we have an endowment. I don't know about. It sounds like we're going to go out of business. Here's here's what was so crazy about this story: every single person in the room knew it, and I was the first person that ever really brought it up publicly. 
In other words, 30 people weren't willing yeah. to admit we were going to go out of business, right? And I felt like such an asshole because I'm like, well, like I just got here five minutes ago, right? How am I the only person bringing this up? And sure enough, within I a year, we're out of book. business, you know, because no one wanted to act. No one wanted to stand up, you know, uh, in front of what was essentially a, a pretty prominent board and, and, and organization and say, we're going out of business. We, <laughs> we need to tell everyone. They're like, no, symphonies don't go out of business. We're not going to let this city's symphony go out of business. I'm like, listen, man, this is basic economics. We're going out of business. And maybe sure enough, they just uh, wanted to end their board memberships, but didn't know how to do that gracefully and thought that bankrupting <laughs> would be the, the most socially acceptable method for bowing out. Yeah, I don't know, man. They got me off the board as well as the entire symphony while they're at it, which was horrible to watch. But to your point, I mean, you couldn't be more spot on, man. Like it's it. it Everything here assumes that the other folks that you're working with are on the same page you are, and they're going to have yeah. all different conditions and perceptions, et cetera, and likely they won't. However, what I would say is that the methodology we're talking about and the things that you sort of need to do, whether or not your team wants to do them, this kind of yeah. is the way to do it. And that was that's why I decided finally to do that. And, you know, I... I was so mad about the situation for, for so many reasons, so disappointed, so upset. Had I been more emotionally mature, I was in my mid-20s when this happened, had I been more emotionally mature, I would have understood that he just wasn't at that same point. He hadn't gotten there. And so I don't think that even my communication with him was fair, or that my expectations that he should feel exactly the same way, because it took me time to get there too, right? right? It took me less time. It took me less time, but I don't know when he started thinking about it either. I may have started thinking about it months in advance, just like kind of seeing what happened. It also wasn't my first startup and it was his. Right. And so I think that there was, there, there were some signs that I saw that he probably didn't pick up on, but I wasn't giving him the benefit of that doubt at that time. I'm just like, dude, we need to do this. I know the answer to this. We got to do this. Fully discounting the fact that it's such a huge decision and he wasn't there emotionally. And I just right. like, dude, logically, this is what we need to do. I know it inside. You just need to hear my words and follow my lead. And that's just not fair, right? Right, right. I don't really have a better advice for like, I, you know, I, I think of myself as being more emotionally intelligent now, but I'm still not sure how I would deal with that situation at this point were it to arise again and to have that same level of dissonance. No, it's a, gr uh, it's a great point. Better, it's got to be united better at picking partners now. Yeah. Agreed, agreed. And, and, and you're going to have to have conversations with lots of people. Right. Oh, yeah. And in every case, it is about building consensus. You know, we talked about having to be able to confront your investors. Try to get five different investors, you know, name however many are in your gaggle of investors, yep. and try to get them to agree that they should all be at the point where it's okay to lose money. Good luck with that. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, th th there's, there's never been a group of people that have, you know, a stronger impetus for not seeing this thing go away because they get zero from it. Right. Right. However, I got to say, for most investors, and, and, and I'm not trying to say one size fits all, for most professional investors who make probably more than five or 10 investments, this isn't their only investment, it's not your grandmother's life savings, heaven forbid. Um, for most investors, by the time you need to sit down with them and tell them that it's game over, they already know, right? Yeah. And here's what... <clears throat> Here's what startups and, and founders need to understand about how investors look at their, their startups. They know going in that most of them will fail. It sucks every time. It doesn't matter how many startups you work with. Every time you watch one of those bets you make fail, 
yep. sucks. But guess what? You, as the investor, you made multiple bets. You'll be okay, right? You won't get that extra vacation home you were hoping for, but chances are you'll be okay. Again, some investors yep. invest more money. Some investors have more consequence. I'm not saying the investors have no consequence at all. I'm saying chances are the investor will be okay. You, on the other hand, not so much, right? Not like as, yeah. <laughs> this. This is our life savings. This is all of our our net worth. This is everything that we own and everything that we are wrapped into one package. Yeah, yeah. This it goes is just, well beyond the financial for us, right? Oh, it, it's literally yeah. it's not life savings. It's life. It's yeah. it's our life. But here's what I've learned. Um, years ago, I was doing a, a company that's gone now, uh, of course, called AffordIt.com. And we had about nine investors, uh, four VCs and five uh, prominent angel investors into the deal. And we were running out of money. I knew it. Everyone else knew it. I spent way too long trying to get uh, that next round of funding that never came. Yep. Right? Yep. I made all the mistakes that we're going to talk about today, right? which is why I understand this stuff so well. But the one thing that stuck with me the most, Ryan, was that I was so convinced that I couldn't sit across from these investors and tell them that I had lost their money. Same right. thing. I sat across from them and, and gave them the grand vision, right? Like this, this whole big story about how we're going to make so much money together and they should believe in me and they should support me. And they did. And now I'm going to tell them that I failed them. I wanted yep. anything but to ever have that conversation, right? And isn't that crazy? So that was what was driving it. So at, at that point in time, if you can go back in history and you can put yourself in that moment, was the motivation, because that's you were trying to raise more funds, right? right You're just like, I'm sure. going to keep this thing alive. You 100% didn't want to sit across from them and have that conversation. And was that all of the motivation? Or was there was there some part of you that still believed you could make it work? Oh, yeah. Or I mean, was it really just like, I just don't want to have this kind of like, I, I'm just to avoid this, I'll do anything, right? We talked about that at the top of the, the top of the show. At all costs, right? I'll avoid this right. at all costs. So was this an additional cost that didn't really have a clear outcome? I'm going to raise the money and hopefully buy myself time to figure it out. Or did you at that point have like, how, how deep was the depravity at this point? I guess what I'm asking, like, were you sure that you could do something with it? Or was it like, God, I'm going to get the money. So I don't have to have this conversation and I hope I can do something with it. Well, I, incidentally, it was a pretty good business idea. And, and had we been able to raise the money, we actually probably would have made it work. But that was sort of here nor there. By the time I was about to have this conversation with the investors, I was probably 12 months too late to this conversation. Mm. In, in other words, yeah. I was the only person that still thought this company had a future, right? <laughs> because remember, investors don't take the same ride you do from a day-to-day -day emotional standpoint. You know, Ryan, you and I start the business. We build it. We're investing every single second of our attention into just this business. The investor isn't. They were super pumped Four years ago, when they when they gave us seed capital or, or some venture, but they've done a hundred yep. other things since then, right? And they're far more excited about the other investments that that are going to go somewhere than they are worked up about the investment that they made in us. Again, yep. they're not psyched that the investment's gone, but unlike us, they have other places that they can still win. This was our yep. only game, right? So here's what I learned: I finally worked up the courage to to talk to these investors thinking it's this could be the worst conversation of my life and the investors looked at me like I had two heads they were like dude you've been dead for a year like like why are you just telling me this now right like almost yeah. like you know you know what I was yeah. I was Bruce Willis and what was the movie where he's dead 
yeah. for like six a, a long time. Six Sense. Yeah, I was Bruce Willis in Six Sense. I was the only person that didn't know I was dead. I was running around, and everyone was like, like I'm not yeah. even there. Um, and, and I'll remember sitting across to the investors, and then saying, "Dude, like I don't understand why you took so long to to bring this up." The one yeah. thing I did do well, I clearly whiffed on timing. What I did do well is I I didn't I didn't point to market forces, even though there were. We were raising money for a financial services company in the height of the financial uh, meltdown, and in retrospect, the timing was god awful. Yeah, but I I, I didn't bring that up. I didn't say that hey we're raising it at the wrong time. I didn't blame anyone but myself. I said look here are the challenges that that we ran into, but I took a hundred percent ownership of it. And sure. I think when I wrote an article about this, I, I basically said that the conversation's this simple. Here's what I was working toward. Here are the mistakes I made. This outcome is on me. We're 100% done. Right? You know, and the interesting thing about that is like owning your mistakes regardless. So for everybody listening, like it doesn't matter whether you're having a conversation about, about you know, uh, the entire company winding down or any failure. When you don't come out defensive, when you don't give people something to attack back against, the conversations tend to go a lot easier. You owned a hundred percent of the responsibility. Yeah, most people don't want to kick you while you're down and pile on at that point. There, there are people out there that will do that, but for the most part, and the investors that you dealt with were, were in this category. They're going to say, "Look, he's taken his lessons. You know, he took a beating. It sucks for me. They should know that it sucks more for you." They do, yeah. and they move on. Yeah, and they move on. And and not to suggest every breakup will be stellar. Uh, the investors could just as soon air their grievances. Let them. That's their yep. opportunity. They spent good money for that grievance. Right? <laughs> Let them have it, right? Yep. And and if you really want to earn extra credit bonus points in this conversation, ask the question, what can you tell me, you know, any lessons I can take away from this? Because, you know, it, even though the business wasn't a win, I still want to go on to build great things. Any advice you might have for me, Right. That's just a mature, zen-like thing to do. And by the way, might result in some of the best advice you ever get at a time you need it the most. They could also just scream at you to get out of their office. Yeah, yeah. you know, in, in which case, <laughs> end of that conversation, right? Um, but I think for a lot of founders, myself included, we dread having that conversation because we think it, it's very different. We think that they're going to strong arm us or force yep. us to continue to work like an indentured servant. And, right. and the truth is, they're just, in most cases, are just going to say, yeah, I get it. We're done. Right? Because they already yeah. knew. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If only if only that was the conversation we saw in our head, any of the 2,000 times we were having it in our head before we had it in reality, things would go a lot smoother. Agreed. Agreed. And so your list of calls continues, right? From there, you basically have to figure out then how to kind of tell the world about this, the world being like all of media and the social now. And man, do people screw this one up, right? Yep. Here's where they screwed up. They don't say anything. (laughs) They just want to... Witness protection. Exactly, man. They just want to put their head in the sand. We all do. Uh, Who who wouldn't? And forget about it. I remember reading something that Hillary Clinton wrote when she she lost the election to Trump. She said, look, I didn't want to give any speeches. All I want to do is just go home and cry. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know what? That's Hillary Clinton, right? I mean, of course that's how you feel, right? However, that's not the best solution, right? The best solution, because the narrative is going to get created in your social circles, in the media, and wherever else you're going to get talked about. The only defense here is to come up with your own narrative, right? 
Drive it yourself. Drive it yourself, right? And and Ryan, you and I have seen a lot of cases where the founder has you know reached out publicly. Usually, it's the typical medium post, and said, "Hey, we fucked up, right? Yeah. Here's what we're trying to do. Here are the mistakes that we made. By the way, once again, a good opportunity to say these were my mistakes, even if even if not all of them were. You know, as the captain of the ship, it's your job to to own them. And it, and here's what other people could learn from the mistakes we made, by the way, like just great piece of karma. Yeah. And as importantly, here's what I've learned and what I'd like to change the next time that I do this. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's such an important, I mean, it's, it's cathartic for the founder. Yeah. Um, it's a great growth moment for the founder. It's such a to your point, it's such a great share to the community. Um, you know, as, as much as I hate to see them come up, I don't think I've ever missed reading a postmortem written by Agreed. a founder. Because there's always filled with reflections of our own, you know, fears and doubts and and concerns and losses and filled with lessons about things that we can do to avoid them or even just commiseration to know that they've happened to other people. It's such a powerful thing to do. And let's be honest, as as mortals, it might be the only opportunity we get to write both our eulogy and our epitaph. Agreed. Agreed. And, and, and you know what? It humanizes the process. Because if all you are is the faceless organization slash CEO slash founding team that just fired a bunch of people yep. or exited a bunch of companies or burned through a bunch of cash, then that narrative doesn't work in your favor. No one's going to come to your rescue no. and say, oh, but they were really sweet people, right? Yeah. All you can do is say, look, yes, I fucked up. This, you know, let's, we're here because I fucked up. If things were going really well, we wouldn't be sitting here. Um, but here's what I was trying to do. Here's where it didn't work. Here's where I made some mistakes. Look, this whole process of starting is a series of judgment calls where we all try to make the, the best calls and, and we often don't, right? But if we can admit to that, if we can say, look, here are the calls that I made. Here's why I made them. Man, I, I thought this was going to be a billion dollar company. I was getting big offices and, and paying big salaries because I was trying to build for something bigger. The fact that we never made $1,000 in revenue in the entire time wasn't what I had in mind. I wasn't just <laughs> spending money you know, for yeah. the sake of spending money. Here are my reasons, albeit in retrospect, the wrong ones. All right. So let's talk a little bit about this narrative for a minute. And there's a lot more to talk about. This is, this is an incredibly deep topic. I think we're, this may be, end up being one of our longest episodes. But when, you, when we talk about controlling this narrative... How can a founder put themselves in the right headspace to think about what the objective of this narrative should be? We, we talked about some of these things. Great point. But when you're going through this, what, what is it that we can do as founders when we're on this downward spiraling path that we can be thoughtful and mindful enough to, to have a purpose behind this? Because we've both seen plenty of these things spin out of control. And, and sometimes that's under the control of the founder themselves, right? They just spin the wrong or a negative narrative to your right. point about talking to the investors, they start to blame everybody around them. They start to do all these things. So is there, is there, do you think that there's kind of a standard operating procedure here around like, here's the narrative that we should tell. I feel like there's, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of diversity in, in how these stories get told, but I do think it is important to have some objective in mind as you create the narrative, right? And it's not just, it's not to cover your ass for sure. Right. And it's, it's not to spin it into the most positive light. I sure. think that, you know, making sure that it, it humanizes the thing. Because I think we also forget that as founders, we might bear the bulk of the brunt, but some of this responsibility is shared amongst all the people that went down with us. 
Yeah, right? absolutely. All the employees, they all share some of this, you know, angst or shame or remorse or whatever it is that they end up feeling. And I think that they often, without humanizing this, you know, by, by keeping it company name and by keeping it founder focused even, that we're doing them a disservice in the same way we'd be doing them a disservice not to tell them in advance. I think it's really sad when they get left out of the postmortem. Well, I, I agree. And I think what you're talking about is kind of like giving your equivalent of the shout outs, right? Yeah. In a way that, by the way, not a lot of people expect. For example, in the company taking a, a header and you're shutting it down, chances are you had very hard conversations with your investors and they chose not to continue to invest in you, right? Not yep. a cool conversation, no version where you have that conversation and you're both smiling when you leave the room. You know, you're pissed. You, you feel like, like you've been let down. They're pissed. They feel like you've let them down. But if you could show enough contrition to step back and say, look, Miss Investor, I know that we reached a point where you know it didn't make sense for you guys to continue to invest in the company, but I don't want to forget what it took for you guys to have the courage to invest in me to begin with, right? That's just a powerful thing to say, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's the same with your employees, right? Look, I, I know this wasn't the outcome that you wanted, but I'll never forget the nights that you spent tirelessly working for this. I'll never forget how, how important our mission was to you. I'll never forget all these things that you did. The last thing that an employee wants, somebody that's been working their ass off for you, is to think that all their time and effort was forgotten about, even if it wasn't rewarded. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, and, what's, you know what's amazing is, and we both have personal stories that speak to this, some of those people will follow you to the next venture. And that has everything exactly. to do with how you treat them when this one winds down, right? Agreed. Um, I, I think we tend to think of these things, and, you know, and, and my mistake, but I use the words eulogy and epitaph. And then the reality is we don't die with these things. Right. 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 And, and, and it doesn't have to be seen that way. And I, I really, I feel bad that I use that language now. It's a chapter uh, summary. It's, it's not the end. It is. It's a chapter summary, right? And things, things move on, right? There's even this, this notion within a lot of investors that they won't invest in somebody who hasn't already failed at least once. Right. right? Because they know what that's like. They know what it's like to go through. So, yeah, so, so it isn't death and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be aligned with death. Agreed. It, well, but, but along those lines, I think what we're talking about is, is showing a genuine appreciation for everybody that was involved and reminding 100%. people why you went through what you went through. It's typically aligned yep. toward a goal that meant a lot to you. And it's important to reflect, yeah, we didn't get a chance to do it, but our intentions were good. And yes, we failed, but we didn't fail on bad intentions, right? And, Correct. and while it doesn't change the outcome, it definitely changes how you were remembered, right? Which to your yep. point of going on to the next one is all that you're going to have left to contribute to your next adventure. That's it. That's exactly it. Because it's not going to be forgotten. Right? Agreed. <laughs> so Agreed. How, 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 you, how you bottle the good momentum that you had and how you accept you know, the losses and, and take responsibility for those has everything to do with what the next step looks like. Agreed. So along those lines, as you're thinking about people to kind of reward and appreciate, one of those people, those folks that typically left out of the conversation are your customers. Right, like you just assume that you're just not going to be, you're not going to have customers anymore, uh, man. Yeah, that represents a lot of people. <laughs> it does, right? And it does I think not finding a way to give them a gift, and, and and I think it's important for us to spend some time. But what we mean by a gift is a huge miss because it. Yep. You're talking about all these people who did believe in you. They voted with their dollars or their commitments. You have to speak to them, right? And you have to come at them directly. Yeah. And, and Ryan, 
man, we certainly learned this lesson uh, when we bought a company <laughs> called Zirtual. We did indeed. And so a, you want to get the, the, the quick backstory of what Zirtual was at the time? This is around 2015, sure. a company we acquired? Sure. Sure. So on one hand, you know, Zirtual was a rocket ship and it was growing fast and things were going really well. Some things happened, things stopped, things stopped going as well. It, it kind of famously had to shut down overnight due to some of those labor laws we talked about earlier. You know, some, some small financial mistakes cascaded into, into a massive, uh, a massive disaster. And we were presented with the opportunity to kind of take things over the day after, right? Yeah. Like it literally was, overnight, literally. Yeah. Overnight. We, it was literally overnight. We were mm -hmm. called and woke up in the middle of the night and, and started, you know, kicking the tires and doing everything we could to figure out like simultaneously, do we want to buy this thing? Can we buy this thing? How can we keep it going? And if we could, do we actually want to do that? Right. So right. it was this weird amalgam of, of, of taking over operations and doing diligence and all this stuff at the same time. And we truly didn't know what the outcome would be. We didn't know how viable the business was. We didn't know, you know, whether we would be the right operators for it. We thought we would. Um, and hindsight has, has, has proven us, uh, correct in, in that sense. But yeah, we, we, it, was, it, was a, it was a situation of extreme uncertainty. And while all startup companies are situations of uncertainty, this one was at the top of my list. You know, it was also interesting, uh, a lot of people don't think about, we shepherded the shutdown of somebody else's company first. So when we bought yes. Searchable, they had 450 employees and they had thousands and thousands of clients. And if you're not familiar with Searchable, it's a, it's a business that allows you to hire a virtual assistant for usually just a few hundred dollars a month. And the balance of those employees um, are virtual assistants, of course. And But the folks that employ them, the customers in this case of the business, are executives who really need that person. So yes. virtual shutting down overnight and damn near without warning was not only a problem to the employees, which is where you know some press at the time was centered. It was a problem for thousands of companies that were employing those folks. Now, again, yes. to be fair... We took over the company the next day, so it didn't really ever truly go out of business per se. However, didn't make our lives any easier either, right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> because we had a lot Not on our plate at all. So we had a lot of splaining to do. We had a lot of splaining to do, <laughs> and so, so what we had to do literally the next day. This is Monday morning. Is we had to make a call as to what we were going to do with thousands of customers, right? Many of, uh, all of whom we didn't know, but many of whom we had no idea what they were going to do, et cetera, and represented millions upon millions of dollars in revenue, a lot of revenue. Yep. And we made the call at that moment, and it was a tough call, to basically just say, look, here's what we're going to do. Clients, here's your virtual assistance, information, right to employment, everything, hire them directly, ergo cut us out of the process, Right. Our thought process was this. We believed that if our customers were taken care of, even if they weren't going to be our customers, it was just the right thing to do. Because Correct. not only will the customer get taken care of, they're going to save money by being able to hire their ZA directly. The ZA will then have a job, right? <laughs> which was a very right. important thing for us to address. And within, oh man, within a week, you know, we lost millions and millions and millions of dollars of potential revenue. But I got to say, it was one of the best things we've ever done because we saved a yeah. ton of jobs uh, that would have been completely gone. And we did right by a lot of clients. And by way of that, a lot of clients did stay with us. And we you know, took that and, and transformed that back into a really healthy, really incredible business. But our focus was, 
hey, if things don't turn around, right? You know, fortunately that had a happy ending, but but if things don't turn around, we want to make sure we did right by all those customers. And we did. Yeah. And and it's, you know, we talk about goodwill in in a business. And, you know, when you're, if you're buying a business, goodwill is often a line item. And it's one that I think a lot of people scoff at. Agreed. And it shouldn't be, right? Because goodwill is a real thing and it is tangible. And we used to great effect, not with the intent of using it as a piece of leverage. We did it because it was the right thing. And because it was the right thing for the right reason, people saw that and they did decide to stick around, right? We had Absolutely. a zero trust relationship with any of those clients. Agreed. They had no zero idea trust. We yep. They had no idea who we were and the company that they did know just completely screwed them. Yep. Right. Sorry. You're, and, and that was the way it went out. It went out as an email on Monday morning. Your assistant can't report today. Right. You no longer have an assistant. Right. right. That was the messaging that had to go out legally from prior Zertual. Right. And so zero trust, right? right. Like antitrust. Right. right? There, was, right. there was the negative trust. And so by doing the right thing in that moment, we, we ensured the two things that you talked about, continuity of process for the, for the clients, continuity of employment for the, the employees so that they could continue as they were unobstructed, unimpeded. And that bought us some trust, not all the trust. As you said, we lost millions of dollars in future revenue, bought us the trust with the people that did stick around. And we were able to leverage that and use that to build the healthy business that we have today while also feeling good about ourselves. Absolutely. And look, in most cases, you won't have that luxury. You're out of money. The idea of giving gifts is the last thing on your mind, right? But gifts come in many forms, right? Gifts come is something as simple as sending a personal email to your customers to say, look, you guys trusted in what we were doing. You trusted in, in kind of my leadership. It, it, things didn't work out. However, if I can ever repay that trust in the form of a favor or anything that I can do in the future, please let me know because it means that much to me, right? Yep. That kind of gesture, assuming it's not a hollow gesture and you genuinely you know, will stand behind it, will pay massive dividends in the future, right? Again, it's based on being the right thing to do. But beyond that, you're saying, look, I'm still here. I still have value. I'd still like to help you in the future, even if I can't help you in quite the same way I've helped you in the past. And I can't think of anybody that wouldn't respect that at some level. I wouldn't want to know them if they didn't. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I've, I've been on the other side of this. How so? I, I've been on the client side so this goes back to what, like circa 2006 or seven. And this was at a time where video conferencing was in its very, very nascent stages, sure. you know, was running technology for a very large market research firm, about uh, 500 employees and another couple thousand field staff. And we needed ways to communicate at scale across 15 different country level market operations, different languages, different sure. cultures. Video was really important to making this global brand work based on all of the individual market operations. And uh, there was a tool at the time. It's, it's the worst name ever. Uh, it was called Dim Dim, D-I-M, D-I-M. Uh, right? <laughs> you just, yeah, whatever. It was a great tool. It worked really well. It allowed you to have multiple multiple participants. You could hand off the video chat to multiple people, which you couldn't do before. It was like you could do one-on-one Skype video chatting and stuff like that. But sure. The group mechanism didn't work. And we slowly, over a period of about 18 months, became entrenched in this tool. We were using it for everything. Sure. Internal communications, for focus group conduction. I mean, like 
all this stuff. We had revenue booked against the ability to use this tool wow. for, for a year and more out. That's tough. And we got two weeks of notice that said, hey, guys, great news. Salesforce is buying us and you're not going to be able to use this anymore unless you buy like their complete package, which for my 2,000 people would have cost me a mint and it, the ROI wasn't there. I, I didn't need the entire system. Oh, it was. I, and like I was, I was in total just absolute pull my hair out uh, house on fire mode. And we ended up losing revenue because of that, because we had book revenue that we could no longer keep up with at scale. We had to build some tools. We had to patch things together. It was a disaster. And to this day, you know, that I, I still feel, still feel a little angry when I think about that because they didn't have to do that to me. <laughs> that's that's, right? that's how you remembered, right? Um, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, we talked a lot about all the different stakeholders that you need to protect or consider, et cetera. How about we wind this up with the one stakeholder we haven't talked much about, which is you, right? And yeah. kind of what to do to protect yourself as you're shutting this thing down. Let's assume you've yep. done a good job of taking care of and, and being considerate to all of the other stakeholders. Let's get you out clean to the extent that we can. And, and, and I yeah. think the first place that we talk about is the legal and financial shutdown. Like, yeah. How do we so we're talking about the heart? founder and the entity, right? The, the legal entity that is this thing, right? And the owner's attachment to that. So yeah, the last stakeholder, I guess, is the business itself, right? Yeah. And, and I got to tell you, a lot of founders don't think about this. A lot of founders, you know, yep. they, they go through the process and uh, they think about, you know, all the different pieces of the business that, that they need to wind down. You know, they forget their name's still on a bank account. You know, the IRS is still yeah. going to call you next year and say, where's your tax returns? <laughs> right? So I mean, funny you should say that. I loaned money to a friend once who, who had run a business into the ground, uh, despite all his best efforts. He did a great job with the company for a long time. Went out of business. He hadn't thought about that. He had to provide financials. Yep. He had a huge, you know, he had a, he had a you know, $30,000 accounting bill just for, for tax prep every year. Yep. And I had to lend this guy money so that he could file his taxes. Imagine right. how excited he was about that. Right, right, exactly. Uh, Almost a year after he had, he had wound the thing down. And think, think about, and you got to checklist this, think about every agreement you're tied to, whether it's your cable modem bill at the office, whether it's your, your Amex bill, everything yep. has to be shut down. Is it a massive pain in the ass? Hell yes, it is. Yes. Right? Yes, yes. <laughs> do you have to do it? Yes. You have to yes. shut everything down as much as you can. No loose ends, no reminders whatsoever to the extent that you can. Now, some stuff just it you know can or won't be. There's a service level of agreement that you just can't get out of yep. or anything else like that. But the more you can shut stuff down, not only does it, does it take away some legal uh, and financial liability, but I got to tell you, it just gets some of the overhead out of your mind, right? Yeah, Nothing's yeah. more painful than getting an IRS notice of late taxes on a business that bankrupted you personally. <laughs> right? Yeah. The gift that keeps on giving. Exactly. I, I got to say, you know, we're laughing about it, but it ain't funny, right? No, and, it's not. And um, all of these final, final steps to shut it down, dissolving the entity, filing your final taxes, making sure that all of your different state or local or, or federal entities aren't still trying to, to collect employment taxes for employees you don't have, right? Yeah. Dude, I've gotten em employment tax bills for companies that I shut down seven years ago, right? Because yep. their respective state that they may have started in, they keep assuming you have employees until you tell them that you don't. I still right. get, get tax collectors calling 
on basically fake invoices from 2011 from some random company. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And again, yeah. I just didn't I didn't know better at the time how thorough you have to be that just because you stop paying your bills or you, you say the business is over, no one else thinks it is. And they want right. to keep collecting. Yep. Yeah. The death certificate has to be signed by someone official. Yeah. And, and, and once it is, you know, once you've gotten all those things checked off, a lot of this is just getting you mentally checked out for all the right reasons. Because, yeah. you know, what I would say is the, the real focus, once you've kind of done your rounds with all your stakeholders, close it out and move the hell on. <laughs> right? That's right. I mean, just, That's right. Get, That's right. Dude, get this out of your head however you can. Because most of us, damn, I, I can't even think of some a person that, that didn't have this fate. Uh, we wallow, right? You know, and this yeah. is, it's a, a, di- a different it's show, our, different it's discussion. Our, but. It's our penance, right? We it's have penance. to, yeah, we, we, we feel like, yeah, now, now I will, I will flagellate myself with the memory for the next six months, uh, and, and continue to, to feel bad about it because I feel like I should. Right. And the it, reality it, is that's a horrible waste of energy and emotion and, and a disservice to all the people that believed in you, honestly. Agreed. Agreed. And, and, and at that point, the best thing you can do if you really want to talk about how to how to shut down gracefully is transform all of your time and energy judo style into doing something else. No, no matter what yep. that might be, right? Could be your next job. Could you spend time with your family? Could be uh, hopefully building another startup if you're crazy enough to do it. But to take all that negative energy and put it into something that you feel really strongly about, right? Just yes. to transform it, right? So that when you see somebody on the street and they say, hey, how'd that startup work out? The whole rest of the awkward conversation isn't just about how it shut down. It's yeah. about, oh yeah, we shut that down, but I'm now but, doing X, Y, Z. Put all your yeah. energy into X, Y, Z. And it's, and it's of course easier said than done, right? Because you know, you, you do have to sort of explain around that, right? And if you just immediately move on, then people are gonna be like, but didn't you just run something else into the ground? Like, and now you're just, really? Okay. Why don't you go get a job? Why don't you, uh, why don't you take some time? Why don't you, why don't you do something? Why don't you do something meaningful with yourself? Right? Like uh, we've all had these conversations and it's, it's painful, but you know what? Let that run off like, like everything else and just move on. Right. Well, yeah. Whatever I, it takes to move forward, you got to do it. I it will the, happen at some point. The sooner, the better. Right. I found the best way to to shake it off is to go do something else. Right. Literally okay. anything else, but just have the conversation of your life be something other than the thing you stopped working with. Right. <laughs> yep. When, when I talk to founders, you know, who who recently shut something down and some of that you know, we worked with in different capacities, my first thing is just find something else to put all of your time and energy and excitement around. Because all of a sudden, all that anxiety will finally have a positive channel. And it's amazing what you can build. Some of my, my best moments in life, my most productive moments, have been based on the ass end of some crazy, anxious you know, roller coaster that I just came off. Yeah, for sure. Okay. We've given you some steps today that might make the process a little easier. Maybe not easier, but a little clearer, right? It's always going to be brutal. Right. But I think that what we want to walk away with is knowing that we did this in the best way that we could. And I think that a framework like we've talked about today gives you some certainty of the process. Right. It certainly will suck, but it also certainly will end. And I think that it's important to walk away knowing that you did it as best you could 
so that you can leverage that feeling into going on and doing whatever you do next. If you treat the people, whether it's your employees, your investors, your customers, your partners, with as much dignity, respect, and advance warning as you can, there's a stronger likelihood that they'll be ready to support you when you're ready to do this again. And we certainly hope that you will be ready to do it again. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer, from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later. Thank you.